Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And welcome to Lost in Science for another week. Thanks for being with us. Hi. (laughs) Hi, my name is Claire and on the show for you this week, I have, well, it's actually, it's the Oscars of Science again. Oscars? Yeah, then it's not really the Oscars. What do you call them, I Chris? Reckon, I think they're, they're the Logies of Science. Which... <laughs> uh, it's more, more like the end of season footy awards of science. The really. Brownlows of Science. <laughs> the Brownlows of Science yeah. are on again. Yeah. It's the Eureka Prizes at the Australian Museum. So I'm going to do, uh, well, I mean, unlike the Brownlow, they don't broadcast them on television like they used to. Back in the Catalyst days, they used to broadcast it. So instead of broadcasting, um, I'm just going to give a roundup of the best science to come out of the So we're not not even going to pretend to cross live. Chris, what do you have for us today? Well, speaking of award-winning science... I'm going to be going to like the most cutting edge, most groundbreaking thing. Remember, like a couple of weeks ago, we did like the water drops in, in a bucket. Blink. Yes. Yes. I'm going to give better than that. I have got a new experiment that I'm going to do in the studio on spaghetti. Your experiments, your in studio experiments, are fantastic. Well, and the plinking experiment was great. It was uh, recorded in your bathroom. Yep. While you're alone, yep. who knows what you were doing? The cat was there. <laughs> It's good to have witnesses. Yeah, <laughs> collaborators, I should say. Silent witnesses. Well, this will be this will be live in the studio, so you can um you can all see for yourselves, and we'll be exploring how spaghetti breaks. Ah, solid state spaghetti. Solid state, not okay. soggy spaghetti, but not it's a soggy. it's a long standing physics puzzle that has been solved, and there have been new developments in this area. So stay tuned for that one. And stew. Well, I'm very interested in how people think after hearing of Chris's spaghetti experiment. <laughs> Especially but how physicists think. How physicists think, how everyone thinks. How do we come up with these thoughts? But no, really, we had a neuroscientist on the show recently. Yes, uh, and shout out to David Farmer. Yeah, neuroscience is obviously the study of brains. But I'm going to explain what rats' brains and rose hips and humans' brains have in common did you say rose hips? Rose hips. Like the tea? Well, like the fruit of the rose flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. What yeah. they have in common. What they have in common or not. Wow. Well, mm. uh, I'm going to stay tuned for that and you should too on yeah. with the show. It was science's night of nights recently. The Oscars of science were on again. I mean, like, personally, I feel like this comes around quite quickly. I feel like they're always on. I don't know. Maybe not. The, well, let's see. The reason that I question them being the Oscars of science is because also there's some other prizes, like the Prime Minister's Science Prize, which mm. is a big one as well. So how do you decide which is uh, the most prestigious award in Australia? And which one's the showy, glammy award, like the Logies, where... 
people just like getting dressed well, up and, also, and no one really cares. Also, the Logies are popularly voted, so we don't get to vote on the Eureka Prizes. Yeah, but... Technically. I think the Prime Minister's the only person who gets to vote over the Prime Minister's yeah, awards for science. Yes. Yeah, you know, So they are more like the Academy Awards than the, than the Logies because n- nobody else gets to vote in them except the Academy. Well, we, uh, as Lost in Science, affectionately have in the past, and I think for the future should call them and have called them, Archies or the Archies, named after Archimedes. Well, it's better than, name, yeah. better than the Medes. <laughs> it just sounds weird. Or the, the Jugheads. <laughs> um, Archimedes, who uh, famously got into the bath and shouted, Eureka! When he figured out what when he found displacement the oh, was yes, all about. Yes. Yeah, when he found. What did you say? When he found the soap. <laughs> anyway, they used to be broadcast, but they are no longer. So I'm going to give you a couple of the choice cuts of the winners of the Archies. Claire's Choice Cuts coming at you. Yeah. So the first Archie winner is a group from University of Adelaide and they won an Archie because they invented the world's most accurate clock. Yeah. And at the centre of this clock is a big sapphire. Yeah. Sort of sounds like a James Bond film, doesn't oh, you it? Have, you have jewels in a watch, don't you? Like, yeah. 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 Well, this is a purpose-built Fabricated sapphire, five centimetres across. Oh, so it's a synthetic sapphire. It is a synthetic sapphire. Mm. Yeah, so it, it's uh, it's totally pure. So it isn't a blue sapphire. So it doesn't have any of that... Um, impurities? Impurities that makes... The, that the make, blue stuff. The blue stuff <laughs> that makes sapphires blue. Um, it's, it's clear. Yeah, what's it but used it for, is this sapphire. clock? Well, it's used to improve radar. But let me tell you, before I tell you about that, it's so accurate... It only loses or gains one second every 40 million years. So they've experimentally tested this. How long are you running for? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, how do they measure that? That's just a guess at best. That's just a guess at best. But, you know, these physicists, they think they're pretty good when it comes to guessing. Anyway, so they take this sapphire and they super cool it um, at the heart of the clock. So, yeah, like I said, it... Um, has been developed for defence purposes. So things like radar um, need um, clocks and devices at the heart of them. Um, And the more accurate the clock, um, the clearer the radar signal is going to be transmitted. Um, And so the clearer the information. So with radar, I guess you're um, sending out radio waves. Great. And then so if if you've got a clearer signal sending out these radio waves, you're going to get um, clearer information when they bounce back to you. Uh, It's a matter of also timing how long it takes for the radio wave to bounce back. And that's that's how how fast something is. And so the more accurately you can time that, the better you can, sure you can be of the distance. Yeah. That is our Arky number one. Now on to Arky winner number two. Some very clever scientists from University of Sydney won an Arky for creating super glue that can be used to stick together, um, you know, just things that you might want to stick together like severed arteries and punctured lungs. So but like it, bio super glue. Yeah, bio super glue. Wow. Yeah. But but super glue already sticks together human body parts. I stick my <laughs> fingers together. It's true. It's true. Well, this one um, will organically break down oh, after okay. your wound is repaired. Unlike Araldite, which I think will probably poison you. So okay. um, stop doing that, Chris. Okay. It's no good for you. 
It's called Metro, uh, which isn't just a cool name. It's from a natural elastic protein called methacrylated tropoelastin. So Metro for short. Can't, um, can't wait for someone to start selling that in beauty cream and stuff. Just you know, <laughs> the metric cryonolastine, whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. Sounds like something from the Pons Institute. Yeah. But it's not. It's real science. It is real science. Um, and it sets in just 60 seconds. And the way that it sets is by having a UV light shone on it. So, yeah, yeah I'm just going to say, like, the yarn gets chopped off, they just glue it back on is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. 60 yes. seconds later. That's cool. Hey, Presto. They, could, they cool. could potentially do, yeah, be good for microsurgery and stuff. Mm. Yeah, so apart from sounding cool, wounds treated with a metro heal in half the time as wounds treated with traditional sutures or staples. So that's always great. Hmm. Yeah. And Arky number three is one for the community and all the citizen scientists out there and all the gamers out there as well, Chris. It's Quester Game won an Arky, a Eureka Prize. What's a Quester Game? Um, it is the real world outdoor gaming app. That promises its users the chance to discover brand new species. So it's like Pokemon, but for real species. Yes, it's Pokemon Go, but with real animals. Which is sad that we have to say it like that, because surely it should be the other way around. But anyway, um, you can play it on your own. You can play it with a school group. You can play it with your friends. And you can find new species. Disclaimer, you may or may not find new species. You, you could start. potentially find new species. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So um, so we can download this app and get on our phone and Yeah, I already it. have. Quest a game. Um, someone's already found a new species. One person's found one new species. So there you go. But if you go onto the website, you, you can see all of the um, different species and where they're found um, around Australia. That's and pretty upload. amazing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's incredible. Well, um, I'm so, going to get rid of Tetris then and just put that on my phone instead. Yeah. <laughs> You have a one-app policy on your phone. Yeah, only one game at a time. Only one game at a time. Fair enough. Um, Well, this is also science, so maybe you could make an an exception and also keep Tetris. No? Okay. So they have ID'd a new species of spider using Quester Game, which is great. Um, And anything that gets people out and about is probably a good thing. Yeah, so Quester Game, a win for the scientists, a win for nature, and a win for people who like fun. Well-deserving of an archie, I'll say that. I think all of the uh, all of the winners are well deserving of a Eureka or an Aki. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you are listening to A Lost in Science. So a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the cutting edge physics of why dripping water makes a plink, plink sound. That, that was a great story, Chris, that and was... a great experiment that you did in your bathroom. Yeah, well, I have, I, thank you. I have more startling physics to bring you and even another experiment as well. Really? Yes. And hang on, 
Was it in your bathroom? No, it's going to be in the studio. Really? Yes. Oh, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Um, yes, and we're going to do the physics of spaghetti. Did you bring some spaghetti in? I did bring some spaghetti. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, just, just for... I'm sti- a bit... Oh, oh it's dry oh, spaghetti. Oh, it's dry spaghetti, Chris. No, of course it is. You will see the point of this. Okay. okay. So this is this is another one, just like the, the plinking water that had like these long puzzled, puzzled physicists for ages. This is another thing that has that has puzzled physicists. <laughs> well, Richard Feynman talked about it in the, in the 80, 1980s, apparently. You know, it was kind of a big thing. And essentially... But what, what is it? You will see. Okay. I'm going to give each bit of a strand of spaghetti. Um, that's going to make a little bit of mess. So we will pick up our pieces. Uh, and all you have to do is hold, hold, hold an end and you just bend it until it breaks. Let's see what happens. Okay. Uh, oh! Mine went it flying. It doesn't break in the middle. It doesn't break in two pieces like you would expect. No, it, it broke in three pieces yeah, for me. Yeah, often so, three or more is what you get, yeah. basically. And this is something that Richard Feynman noticed and thought, why is it so? He tried to figure it out and he couldn't solve it. And he asked Julius Sumner Miller and he didn't know the no, answer. No, no. And we will pick up all the pieces of our spaghetti in the studio because yeah. it does tend to go everywhere. Um, yeah, anyway, so this is one of those, those puzzles. It actually took about 20 years to solve this. Um, it was solved in... 2005, some French physicists published a paper. It's 20 years. Which they figured it out. The plinking story took over 100 years yeah, or something, yeah, something like that. to solve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so they're really narrowing stuff down now. Yeah. Got a much yeah. better understanding of the kitchen. Yeah. But no, it's actually quite interesting. It's actually quite interesting. And, and I'll give you some more spaghetti. We can, we can Great. We've Excellent. got next, another Thank experiment you. to do. Here you go. Here okay. you go. Oh. Another um, one. Yeah, yeah. So when they okay, yeah. So go essentially, on. okay. So what basically happens? I'm going to show you guys. This is like, um, I'm going to describe it for the people at home, and I won't get you to do the, I won't get you to do the experiment just yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what happens. So essentially, what happens is when it when it breaks. So the the spaghetti is bent, and when it breaks, it the ends where it bent, they snap back. They start to straighten up, right? As mm-hmm. you'd imagine. Right. Because it's no longer bent anymore in your hand yep. when it's left. And so what happens is that kind of unbending of the spaghetti of the strand moves along like a wave along the strand of spaghetti. And as it does so, like you've got the, the bit in your hand is, say, say, is still a bit curved and the bit that was the end that broke is straightening up. And so what happens is you get this kind of curve, wave of curvature changing from the curve to the straight and the, the actual radius of curvature gets tighter. So it actually gets bent more as the wave goes along and eventually it reaches a critical curvature where it snaps. So basically the force of the rebound of the spaghetti yeah. breaks itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they can, they, the people who, who came up with this, they, the, they come with a really neat experiment of showing it. So what I'm going to do is again, hold, hold both ends and you bend it, but not till it breaks. So bend it quite a bit, but not till it breaks. Ah, oh, mine broke. You can have, can another, I have another piece. Have another strand. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. Okay, so bend it before it breaks. And then what you have to do is just, just let go of one end. And it breaks. Try it. Oh, I think mine broke. Mine Still didn't, didn't do it. Not bend it more, enough. bend it more, and then let go. <laughs> so essentially what you're doing, by bending it and then letting go on an end, you are essentially doing what happens at the, the first break when you're bending it. Right. So you're creating that thing. And it's really actually it's an interesting situation because what's happening, you created a stress on the spaghetti, and it's only when you remove the stress that it breaks. So you think it would break when it's under stress, but actually when you remove it is what causes the thing where it breaks. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this now, this whole particular spaghetti puzzle, is because there's been a new development oh. in the world of spaghetti physics. Um, some more work done by students at MIT who, who try, so I'd take this a bit further. They've got nothing better to do with their time. 
they wanted to not only figure out why spaghetti breaks in more than two pieces, but to work out whether it's possible to make it break in only two pieces. Ah, uh, and did they did uh, they uh, succeed in by, doing this? By doing what we did or by letting one side go? No. No, they, they found a way of doing it. And I haven't been able to replicate this because they had to build a special device to do it. <laughs> oh, uh, come on, MIT. But I'll show you. You can try it. You can try it. It's not going to work. I can tell you it's not going to work. I'll tell you why, what happens, basically. Um, so what they figured out is that if you, if you twist it and bend it at a straight time, then it will break. No, don't try it just yet because I'll explain this to you. <laughs> so what happens is, so you twist it. And then when it snaps, it unwinds, untwists, as well as unbending, right? Ah. And the untwisting dissipates energy that from the other wave, and it, it removes kind of the um, the yeah the energy that was causing it to break. So the, the untwisting is um, solves that problem of breaking. Now the trouble was that their device to do it, it kind of only worked when you twisted it over 250 degrees, which is very hard to do. Oh, that's really hard. That's a very long Without way. breaking it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, it that's, snaps off your fingers. Yeah, it's about two-thirds so, of a circle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you can try it, and you can try it and then bend it. And, yeah, I couldn't get it to work, so I'm just going to see you guys fail. So for people no. trying to do it at home yep. with spaghetti at home, yep. we're just using normal spaghetti and yep. uh, um, what number spaghetti is that? Oh, this is uh, this is actually um, number. Oh, I can't see what that is. It's a very it's a re- relatively fine gauge. It's not quite angel hair spaghetti, yeah. but it is <laughs> number five. Number no, five. No, which, number no, five. The, in the um, in the uh, the papers I looked at, they did talk about using uh, number five and number seven. I think they tried with, and the people asked them at reporters asked about whether they were trying with linguini and whether that would mm. work the same. But yeah, they haven't done the experiments on linguini yet. But um, yeah, look. It's if you can bend it more than two hundred fifty, twist it more than two hundred fifty degrees, it should be able to break it. So I'm just twisting it. I'm not bending as well. Twisting and then bend. Okay, twist and bend. Twist and then. No, I don't think it did. I think I got it in two. So there's a puzzle for you. You can try this. Maybe maybe use pliers or something. Maybe you can try that. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) it's something to try. uh, And that get a vice and some pliers and all your spaghetti and a big pot of boiling water. (laughs) And now we have some cleaning up to do. So for many years, research in the biomedical field for human medicine has focused initially on what are called animal models to test the plausibility of hypotheses. Um, Most people are obviously unwilling to volunteer for the kind of experimentation that most people will allow to happen to animals, but they're not willing to line up for it themselves. 
Mm. Fair mm. enough, yeah. Uh, but they're also animals are easily multiplied for replication purposes in experiments. So um, having healthy individuals for experiments and trials is as important in some cases as having subjects with a particular condition that is being studied uh, and finding adequate numbers of human volunteers presents problems for a start. Um, other factors in choosing animals in early testing of human medicine is that some species, especially rodents, including mice and rats, can be manipulated in various ways. So particular mutations can be identified or even introduced in populations of rodents that allow better understanding of the onset of particular diseases or the effect of certain medications. And this has proved very useful in developing numerous treatments for human patients by running initial trials on animals in many fields of medical research, including neuroscience. But that may all change. Neuroscience is focused on understanding the workings of the human brain in a physiological and biochemical basis as a functioning organ of the body, and it makes sense that it works in humans in much the same way as it works in other mammal species, including rodents, because it serves a similar function in all of these mammal species. So generally speaking, scientists sort of go, well, it's it's a brain, so we'll see how the brain of the mouse works, and then we'll be able to figure out how the brain of the human works. Um, but a recent discovery, or a further recent discovery, I should say, may call into question the useful, usefulness of animal models in human neuroscience. Um, the recently published announcement of the rosehip neuron. Oh, this is where the rosehip comes this into it. This is where the rosehip comes into it. So this particular neuron is named for its shape, which is like the fruit of a rose after its petals fall off. So the flower's finished and it's shaped like a... Yeah, that little sort of bulby thing with the spikes at the end. Yeah, and this was discovered simultaneously by researchers looking in two different ways. So two different groups of researchers looking at two different things came onto the same point at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Um, So one group was looking at tissue samples uh, of deceased humans and discovered the cell by its distinctive shape and recognised that that was a specific type of neuron. And the other group were looking for unusual electrical signals in neurons and the patterns that particular neurons put out in electrical signals. And they figured that this one neuron was putting out a weird pattern of electrical signals. So they discovered it and they sort of got together and figured out, oh, wait, we're looking at the same thing. They're not exactly sure what the function of the neuron is, but its unusual attachment to other neurons might give some clues about what it does they suspect it is able to arrest electrical impulses through other neurons, which they say is a way to control the flow of information through the brain, which is pretty important as far as brain functions go. So these neurons attach in weird ways to other neurons and stop specific information going through specific parts of other neurons, which uh, is very interesting. And the big surprise being that it doesn't exist in rodent brains at all. So humans have this particular kind of neuron. Rodents don't have it at all, but it might be very important in dictating the way brains think, and it may actually be one of the things that separates human thinking from other animal thinking. 
I mean, it sounds like though they've just only just now found it in humans. I mean, you could ask, have they just not looked hard enough in other species? Well, they certainly looked before they published. They looked okay. in rodent brains specifically because rodents are so commonly used in research, yep. and they could not find any trace of anything similar in those brains. Do they know how many of them the, these are? Like, I don't how many think, there are in a brain? I don't think they've published uh, that, but they are found mostly in the part of the brain where consciousness is believed to function. So the the human consciousness is based in one part of the brain, and that's where most of these rose-hip neurons are found. Wow. Consciousness as in, so, okay, so you have your, your, your so-called higher functions, which is like your executive decision-making, this kind of stuff, which is kind of in the frontal lobe, and that's like all your, um, yeah, your executive control stuff, where the, like, the, the thinking takes place. But then there is also, so we might refer to that as consciousness, but then there is consciousness, which is defined as not being unconscious, so the bits that keep you awake, and that's kind of more down towards you're, um, well, towards the brainstem, but in that kind of central part of the brain, the um, the pons and medulla and those kind of things. They're definitely talking about the frontal okay, lobes okay. of the brain. That's, that's what I'm Yeah, which about. is much bigger in humans than it is in other animals too. Yep. Um, got to fit all those rose hips in there. That's right. They haven't observed it in any other species so far, but as you say, they're still looking and they may well find them in other species. They suspect that it's likely that they'll find more in other primate brains at the very least in the future because they've measured that, you know, primates think in ways that are more similar to humans than other animals do. But they do think it's uh, another piece in the puzzle of explaining why human brains don't work the same way as other mammals and that probably certain animal species are not going to prove to be useful models in some areas of neuroscience at least. all we have time for on the show for another week thanks so much for tuning in we've very much enjoyed hanging out with you and talking science today and if you are living in the melbourne region make sure you check out the astrolite festival which is happening at science works this saturday the 8th of september from 6 p.m till 10 30 p.m science works is putting on a huge after hours event for all ages there'll be talks, performances featuring astronomers, scientists, stargazers and artists to present a night starring astronomy and light. So make sure you check that out. Lost in Science is recorded in the studios of 3CR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you would like to get in touch with us, that would be fantastic. We would love to hear from you. Uh, you can drop us an email at lostinsci at gmail.com. You can find us on the Facebook. We are Lost in Science on 3CR. Uh, maybe follow us on Twitter. We are Lost in Science 1. That's our handle. 
or maybe uh, you just want to tune in on your podcast. We are podcastable. You can listen to old episodes of Lost in Science, catch up on all the science that you missed out on previously. And while you're there, please review us so other people can find us as well. But you will always find us next week on your radio when once again, Claire, Stu and Chris will get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.